gentlemen, boys and girls, and friends beyond the binary, step right up for just one nickel. You too can peer into the bazaar, the terrifying, the just plain weird. Take a look inside if you dare. It's the Paranormal Peep Show. <laughs> Hey everyone and welcome to the Paranormal Peep Show podcast. My name is Tanner and along with me is Jaina. How are you doing today? I am doing most excellent. I'm so excited for our first episode. How are you, Tanner? I'm awesome, thank you. Uh, yeah, I'm super <laughs> stoked for our first episode as well. Um, we received some really awesome feedback on episode zero, so really wanted to thank everybody who took the time to listen and write either myself or Jaina and uh, and let us know what they thought. It's really, really awesome to hear what you guys had to say. Yes, certainly no pressure going into this episode whatsoever. Thanks, everybody. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it uh, started off on a really strong note, and uh, hopefully it doesn't just dive off a cliff uh, from here. But everyone had oh, really nice things to say. Oh, it can nice only get worse. We, we, it, it, we've officially that's right. peaked. <laughs> that's right. We've peaked. Good night, after, everybody. Uh, <laughs> after zero episodes of the show. Um, We've peaked, but we definitely do have an awesome show ahead of you today. I know uh, Jane has been doing a lot of research on some news topics to cover. Uh, I read a book to talk about uh, what were my my story for later on today. Um, Jane watched a terrible documentary, and uh, yeah, this week this week's been awesome. Yeah, we did a lot of stuff in preparation for the show, trying to, you know, get to a place where we have a couple of topics in the bag that we can pull out and speak on with authority. Um, a question I had for you, Tanner, is, and, and sorry, I'm catching you off guard on this, um, uh-huh. but I know that we both have the proclivities to be interested in different various aspects of like the fringe and the paranormal and all of that stuff mm-hmm. in our personal lives, too. Um, what sort of spooky wonders have you been up to since we last spoke? anything uh not really i guess um we're having people come over tomorrow and uh, i like to purify the energy of the house so to say so i have palo santo that i have been burning so my house is filled with wonderful wood smoked smell Uh, i love the scent of palo santo but really nothing i've been working and uh came home and slept and now here i am (laughs) really nothing super stoked what about you (laughs) um i have actually been getting back into my crystal practice a little bit uh so for those who don't know i am actually a a practicing witch um so and i never thought you know 20 years ago that i would grow up to be a crystal girl i'm pretty sure 20 years ago i would have kicked my own ass if i would have known that (laughs) Um, But it's much like essential oils where uh, when I first started using essential oils and and no, this is not an attempt to get our listeners to join my multi-level marketing scheme uh, for that. Follow me on Instagram. Um, I'm teasing. I'm not part of an MLM. (laughs) But um, it was much like with essential oils. Like I didn't want to believe that it was going to work. The science made no sense with the essential oils, right? Um, Right. It's quite the same with crystals. And I've, I've been having a bit of a rough patch with some some self-awareness, some self-confidence. Uh, so I've been experimenting with uh, lapis uh, lazuli, uh, which is not just used for enchanting in Minecraft, it turns out. Oh, interesting. Tell and me I've more. I've been having some wonderful results about it. So basically, awesome. I have a... 
a lapis worry stone that I, I purchased some time ago and I, I've been wearing it and kind of just like running my thumbs over it to kind of feel that energy from it. And it certainly helped to bring uh, some 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 centering and some peace for me. So if anybody else out there is uh, struggling with some anxiety right now, I cannot recommend lapis enough. Try it out. What's the worst that's going to happen? You'll have a beautiful like violet blue rock in your home. That's right. Yeah, I uh, we actually have crystals all over my house and whether or not they work. I, I always tell people um, when we bought the house, my realtor actually like brought in selenite and uh, crushed it up and like spread it all over places. Uh, realtor is really awesome. And then we That's put really cool. uh, some stones in every. <laughs> yeah, she she's a really cool person. And we put stones in every uh, entryway and like window and everything. And it's supposed to. Uh, keep the bad stuff out and the good stuff in and you know co- when I tell people or co-workers or someone come over and they see these like rocks all over the place they're like oh what's that I'm like well it's to prevent like break-ins and stuff like that they're like that's stupid I'm like well my house hasn't been broken into so it must be working <laughs> you know <laughs> like uh, it's kind of like it's kind of the the right. I don't know. It it's pretty fun though. Check yeah, and mate. That's right. My <laughs> house hasn't been broken into, therefore they work. Exactly. That is sound logic, and I wish to subscribe to your newsletter. <laughs> Perfect. Uh, so hey, you have speaking uh, of some note yourself, uh, start a paranormal peep show newsletter. Okay, I got that note there. Oh, yeah. Stay tuned for the paranormal that. peep show newsletter coming up in a few episodes, <laughs> listeners. <laughs> yeah, we'll uh have our crystal of the week and uh, some herbs that you yeah. can burn <laughs> and uh, our favorite happy hour specials down at Ruby Tuesdays. <laughs> Once a week, you get a free coffee. Well, shall we jump into some news, Tanner? Yes, uh, I see you have quite a few things listed here. I have opened none of them, so I don't know uh, what you're going to be talking about, but I'm really excited to hear. Perfect. Oh, uh, so because I thought this week uh, there there were some interesting things going on in the United States government, also uh, feeding into our general, our main topic of the day, which is more in Tanner's wheelhouse with the ghosts and the hauntings. I thought I would uh, front load the news today with uh, some UAP news, some UFOs in the news. Uh, Of course, since we saw everybody last, Pentagon officials held a brief in Congress on UFOs. It was a historic hearing. It was the first time in over 50 50 years that just such a hearing was held. It involved two members of the Department of Defense, two new UFO videos. More importantly, a whole lot of unanswered questions. Uh, This took place uh, last week. Uh, The hearing was conducted by the House of Representatives in the United States. And what was really interesting is there was a lot of evidence that was uh, presented at this hearing. Um, What was even more interesting, as we'll find out in this uh, article from the Daily Mail, is what was not said in many cases. Uh, Like I mentioned, it it does seem like it left many uh, more unanswered questions than than questions were were answered. Um, That said, it's certainly interesting that, you know, we're having this this influx of UAP, uh, UFO news coming to us every few years, and it does seem that like there's more and more on the radar uh when it comes to general public consciousness about it tanner yeah it uh you know i've i grew up fascinated about ufos and i saw a couple years ago the like navy video uh that the united states navy had released um effectively saying hey here's this object and we have no clue what it is and i think uh 
that video is kind of what spurred the United States government to look into it and to conduct this hearing. So what kind of, uh, what kind of stuff came out of this or, um, what questions <laughs> the were one left that I thought unanswered, was, I guess. The one that I thought was the most interesting is like I said, there was, there were some things that, uh, were not answered. There were things that were, um, asked about, um, and, and maybe some people said that they didn't know something when they did. That's coming out of the Daily Mail where a former Minutemen commander slammed the Pentagon this past week, slammed the officials for saying they knew nothing about the UFO incident that shut down nuclear missiles at a U.S. airbase in 1967 because this former Minuteman commander reported it to the Department of Defense himself last year. Robert Salas has claimed Pentagon officials lied in Congress about not having information about a mysterious UFO incident that deactivated U.S. missile silos in 1967. When Salas told DailyMail.com he reported the event at the time and has spoken about, about, spoken about it repeatedly and reported it to his own government's UFO task force in 2021, he said the response he got was, oh, we already know your story. So unless you've got something new, we don't need to hear what you've got to say. That irritates me. Yet at you know, the like same the, time. <laughs> go ahead. The, the government. Uh, I don't know that that irritates me. You know, you go and you're like, yeah, OK, be quiet, crazy old man. Like, uh, we know what you're going to say and then put on your tinfoil hat and go away. Like. I don't right? know. <laughs> and, and he wasn't the only one in this case either. You know, he was a former Air Force captain. He was on duty at Montana's Maelstrom Air Force Base in March 1967. Uh, a mysterious red orb flew over the Air Force Base, and it was him, security guards. They all witnessed a glowing red saucer-shaped orb, and seconds later, klaxons and warning lights went off, warning that the nukes had become inactive. Within just a few seconds, they had lost eight missiles to a no-go, which means inoperable condition. That is wild that our defenses were co totally taken offline. And Maybe it was reported, uh... but it wasn't known, quote unquote. Interesting. I think uh, maybe maybe extraterrestrials are trying to tell us something when they take down your your missile defense system. <laughs> like, hey, maybe well, you don't be, need right? all of these nuclear weapons. Well, if our science isn't going to further our defense mechanisms, our science is going to further our exploration of the universe and how we understand it. How's that for a segue? Because the Large yeah, Hadron Collider is back up and running and it's trying to take on some of its weightiest questions yet. The LHC is back up and running. To be honest with you, Tanner, I didn't know that it was offline. I thought it was just kind of one of those things that was always running. So, whoops, <laughs> probably should have known that. <laughs> but this was a standard shutdown at the LHC where they were able to uh, really dramatically increase the amounts that they're going to be able to detect different particles at the LHC and increased the overall power output of it by 5%, which, which doesn't sound like much. But when you consider the size of the Large Hadron Collider, 5% is a whopping amount. Construction took $4.75 billion from various European governments. So Jesus. maybe all of these UFOs and upticks are just uh, the parallel dimensions crossing over because of the LHC being back up and running. Yeah, that thing's huge. And I think... Uh... We don't talk about it as a society enough, like the, the things that they are creating um, and discovering and, you know, you're slamming these particles into each other at very vast speeds, um, creating black holes, potentially um, 
you know, there's been reports where like some of the tests that they're running say, hey, this may like rip a hole in the space time continuum. Like the stuff that they're doing there is really cool. And I don't think gets reported out a lot because I think the things that people will find out there, uh, should it be reported out on, uh, may cause some mass hysteria. <laughs> the, the LHC I is, think that's a, fair is a point. really cool experiment. Yeah. It, uh, I met, um, professor Brian Cox. He's, uh, a professor very famous in the, in the UK, uh, does a lot of, um, like television specials and stuff. And he was actually a really large part in constructing the Large Hadron Collider. Uh, really fascinating. Really? Dude. And, uh, yeah. Talking about black holes and space travel and time travel and, and stuff like that. So the, the things that they're trying to find out there is uh, certainly blow my feeble mind. <laughs> <laughs> It's it's one of those things where, you know, sometimes the conspiracy theories that come out of it are even um, more interesting in some cases. And, oh, yeah. and I think that's probably why the news tends to grab on to the wackadoo stories, like the one where they were talking about, uh, you know, when the Collider was first having the setbacks in the early aughts. I know there mm. was talk of uh, that there was a time traveler from the future that was returning to the past to sabotage it. I, wasn't there something with a bird and a baguette, too, I seem to remember? Something like that. I don't know. I think... We as humans are very intrigued by the unknown and some things that we can't grasp. Uh, we start to draw lines and like connections between these things that we don't understand to make it so we understand. Uh, it's kind of like the basis of religion or um, in some instances like uh, paranormal activity. You know, we can't comprehend some of these bigger than life things. So we try and put an answer to them. Uh, which is where maybe drawing lines where they don't exist. Exactly, exactly. And then we kind of work up these fallacies in our minds and believe them. Um, and I find that just a fascinating part of human nature. What's what's interesting is, uh, you know, how you mentioned that a lot of times we build up these fallacies in our heads and they're, you know, I, I believe that our, our, our unconscious or subconscious minds um, have wonderful ability to do different things. And I think that sometimes we uh, unleash certain uh, things into existence just by thinking it so hardly. Uh, tulpas are a great example of that. Um, it makes me wonder then when it comes to various like haunted and cursed objects and whatnot, uh, are those actually cursed because of the thing or are they cursed because there's been so much energy put into them over the years that it now manifests as a result of that another example is Slenderman you know Slenderman right. started off on Reddit and then all of the sudden Slenderman's uh, now in, in Wisconsin somewhere and these girls are saying that they killed their friend because of him right and you know it uh, I think definitely putting all of this energy into these things definitely does manifest something because uh, energy is neither created nor destroyed uh, as my elementary physics taught me. So, you know, it has to go somewhere. And I think when, when the collective humanity focuses on one object or, or something, you know, it kind of goes in and feeds the beast, uh, so to say. What about 14 objects? It's, uh, it's a lot of objects. 
It is a lot of objects, and it was too much for some thieves in India to take care of. Uh, some thieves in India returned idols to a temple priest after being haunted by nightmares this past Monday. According to The Guardian, the thieves stole a total of 16 idols last week from a 300-year-old temple uh, and in to Lord Balaji. Am I saying that right? B-L-A... J-I. I have no idea. Uh, send your emails good. to Tanner. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> uh, and 14, on Monday, 14 of the stolen artifacts were found near the home of the temple's chief priest. Uh, speaking to the Times of India, police inspectors said that one of the idols uh, was an alloy comprised of eight different types of metal, gold, silver, copper, zinc, lead, tin, iron, and mercury. And in Hinduism, the alloy is of great importance as, and is, is very highly priced. Uh, so they're seeing it as, as being uh, quite sacred to them. Now, what ended up happening with these guys is they were being haunted by scary dreams uh, from the time that they took these idols. And in addition to stealing the idol of a sacred alloy, they stole idols and various artifacts uh, from all sorts of these types of metals. So again, because of the, the, the energies that are put into this and the religious beliefs uh, in Hindi culture, um, the thieves, you know, they wrote a confession letter based basically, to the temple priests believing they had caused this curse to come upon themselves, stating they were returning the idols because they'd been suffering nightmares. It said, we have been suffering from nightmares since we committed the theft and have not been able to sleep, eat, or live peacefully. That is interesting. It said they were fed up with scary dreams and are returning your valuables. Did uh, What do you think of that, Tanner? You're our resident they... cursed object expert. I, I expert is is a long stretch, but uh, listen. You know, when I, think, I say resident, I'm comparing to me, so you're the <laughs> so one of two. Uh, no, that's fair. Um, I think a lot of these cursed objects, when they get taken, and while you're speaking of that, I immediately think of like the Hope Diamond, uh, which is currently in the Smithsonian. Um, but it's said that anyone who's ever owned that object has died in some tragic way, and the the origin of the hope diamond is said and i'm this is all from memory and i haven't looked into it so i apologize if my facts are incorrect but if effectively uh this diamond was taken from a statue uh of religious significance um to an ancient culture and when it was taken and crafted into this giant necklace very gorgeous necklace um anyone who came in possession of it died uh in a tragic way and eventually it, it came back to the Smithsonian. So I definitely think that a lot of objects that are of religious significance, um, like you said, a lot of people focus their energy on these objects. Think like the Holy Grail or the Ark of the Covenant or some of these objects that are very, very significant to different cultures and religions. And you have all of these people feeding their energy into it. Now if something bad happens to that object. Well, that energy starts to be released from said object, uh, wanting to come back and, you know, be put into a state where it's safe again. So I find that really interesting. And um, you find these these bad things typically happening with uh, with objects of some sort of religious significance. Yeah, that's really interesting. I never thought about like the energy, like leaving and needing to go back in or go someplace and manifest somehow. That's that's a really interesting thought. Yeah, it's, uh, it's all got to go somewhere. And, you know, when <clears throat> you have the collective conscious of an entire civilization feeding their thoughts and energy into these things, um, 
it's a lot of energy and has to go somewhere. No kidding. Well, last up this week, and I had I don't have a clever little segue for this one, uh, but I'm very excited <laughs> about it because this is a case that has always uh, really interested me. A new documentary called Aerial Phenomenon is coming out this year. It's going to consider whether an unidentified flying object actually landed near Zimbabwe school in September of 1994. This this case, the aerial uh, school UFO incident, is is one of my favorite uh, UFO and, and alien uh, stories. Uh, to anybody who's unfamiliar with it, it took place in September 1994. There was a UFO sighting in Rua, Zimbabwe. 62 students at the aerial school aged between 6 and 12 claimed that they saw one or more silver craft descend from the sky and land on a field near their school. Now, one or more creatures, they were dressed in black from head to toe and approached the children, telepathically communicated to them with a message of an environmental theme, which tends to happen a lot in alien contact things. Um, so the thing that makes this so remarkable to me is that it was with all of these children and they interviewed these children independently and they basically corroborated the same stories. And to have that many children say the same thing and not have any of them really deviate from it says something happened there. So I'm really excited for this documentary to be coming out, um, especially because it's going to be coming back and re-examining some of this stuff uh, and re-interviewing some of these children all these years later. So that is one you can absolutely wait for it to be on our feed. I'm 100% going to be talking about this documentary when it comes out later this year. Yeah, I'd, uh, I'd never heard of this incident, but while you were talking, I uh, did a quick Google search and some of these like drawings of crayon uh, that these kids did after the incident are kind of creepy and they all look very, very similar to one another. Um, right? So I'll definitely be watching and, that. And it sounds really cool. Like kids can definitely take to hyperbole, but it's very rare that you're not going to have at least one kid say, well, actually, um, they're trying to pull a fast one on you, Mr. Teacher. I assume right. that the nerds talk that same way in Zimbabwe. That's right. It's a it's a common theme among school children. But I, right, I, I think they all talk like the nerd really, from Captain Underpants. Yeah. <laughs> what really blows my mind is any time that there's some sort of UFO alien interaction, uh, be it anywhere in the world, <clears throat> they all like I have this common theme of. The same little spaceman with big eyes and kind of like this almond-shaped head. Uh, I don't know. It it fascinates me that again, there's like this collective conscious about what what an alien is. Right. I'm actually looking here. Um, I feel like this documentary is already out, so maybe I'm going to get to. Oh yes, that came out on May 20th. It's streaming already, so yeah, I'm going to be digging into this one, uh, maybe for our next episode. That's exciting. Oh well, there you go. Hot off the presses, brand new documentary uh, out now, streaming. Do you have the name of it? Aerial phenomenon, uh, not like uh, aerial as in the air, but aerial as in the school. So like the Little Mermaid, A-R-I-E-L phenomenon. All right. Well, there you go. And go ahead and it looks like the... it is actually, oh no, I thought it was on YouTube. I'm, I'm wrong. <laughs> I'm trying <laughs> no, to figure good. out where it's streaming here, which is something I should have known before I read the news article. But <laughs> oh, anyway. <man. laughs> 
<laughs> but uh, everyone go take a watch that documentary. Uh, we will be covering that in the very near future. I know I will watch it myself because aliens fascinate me. Uh, speaking of our topic for the week, uh, thank you for the news. You have a very news-like reporter voice, and I appreciate it, and you put me to shame. So, uh, <laughs> Working in radio for three years, we'll do that. Want me to do true. a rip and read of a commercial for a used car dealer? <laughs> <laughs> Only if they give me money. But <laughs> so uh, for this week, uh, I read a book um, called The Devil in Connecticut. Now, let me ask you, have you ever heard of Ed or Lorraine Warren um, or anything that they've ever done? No. I mean, I fe- it, it's it's those names that definitely feel familiar to me. But honestly, I feel that way with about 90 percent of names because I'm really, <laughs> really bad with names. It's all right. So am I. Have you heard of Amityville Horror? I'll put, put it that I way. I have heard of Amityville Horror, Ted. All right. Tanner, so, damn it. It's all good. Uh, so Amityville <laughs> Horror, the Ed and Lorraine Warren were the leading paranormal investigators uh, on the Amityville Horror case. And they were very prominent uh, paranormal investigators in the in the Northeast, uh, like the Connecticut the Connecticut area. Um, so this case took place in Brookfield, Connecticut, um, and had to deal with uh, with this family, the Glatzels, um, specifically revolving around one of their children named David. Um, and I'm trying to figure out how to David Glatzels. David Glatzel. That's right. Glatzel. Um, so the uh, the Glatzel family consisted of uh, mother and father, Carl and Judy, as well as all of their children. Debbie, who was 26. Carl Jr., who was 14. Alan, who was 13 years old. And little David, who was 11. Now, Debbie also had a boyfriend at the time who was very instrumental in what I'm about to talk about. His name was Arnie Cheyenne Johnson. He was 18 years old. So in the year 1980, go ahead. I just said, okay. Sorry, oh, we're getting right. a little bit of lag in our feed. So like, if I just say like, okay, like, yep. Okay. It's, it's interrupting. Oh, gotcha. I'll shut up now. No, no, you're good. So year was uh, 1980 in July. Now Debbie and Arnie were looking to move into uh, a house on their own. Uh, like I said, Debbie was 26 and Arnie was 18. So they were looking to move out and uh, kind of, go off onto their own, do their own thing. Uh, They found this beautiful home in Brookfield, Connecticut that they could We're just going to glance over that she was 26 and he was 18. Yeah, I get, you know, I mean, why not? (laughs) (laughs) They're both. Okay, Okay, fair enough. It's all right. It's legal. (laughs) It's legal. You know, she married down, I guess. (laughs) I guess. Um, (laughs) And, uh, they they found this house in Brookfield, Connecticut, um, and asked Judy, the, her mother, and uh, her brothers to come help unpack boxes and move furniture and stuff like that. So while they're in this house, uh, David is playing around, looking around, and in the basement of this house, there was a door that was locked and no one had a key and no one knew what was in there, uh, which they found very odd, but kind of really didn't think anything of it. Now, back up in, in the main bedroom, there was this water bed that David was kind of playing around on. And while he was doing this, he got shoved and he thought it was one of his brothers that maybe 
playing around. And when he turned around, he saw this old man standing there in this plaid shirt wearing overalls, uh, pointing at him, uh, saying, beware. And he was this kind of semi-transparent visage of a person standing there, which freaked David out. And he went running outside. Um, Parents really didn't know what was going on. uh, As he was, I mean, terrified. I I would be too (laughs) if some old man just came in and shoved me uh, in this house that uh, we were moving into. Um, yeah, that would be Daisy. awful. It reminds me of like the actual old man that shoves people that lives across the hall from me. I can't imagine if he was actually in my home. And that's that's like <laughs> this physical representation of somebody that I have a, a, a known memory of to just have like some dude show up. No, good Lord. <laughs> just like give you this quick shove. Now, no one else in the family saw this or had seen this person. And they kind of thought David was just being a regular 11 year old boy. Um, days following this incident, however, um, David's attitude began to change. He was normally this very bubbly and giggly kid, uh, and now he was very glum and long-faced and really didn't want anything to do with anything. Um, that's when things started to go weird around the house. Uh, the, the family would be sitting around eating dinner and hear three knocks on the, on the wall, Um, three knocks typically signifying, uh, the, the Holy Trinity, uh, in, in Christian Catholic faith. However, in this instance, when you hear three knocks, um, it's mocking the Holy Trinity, um, kind of signifying some sort of demonic presence. Um, it was at this time where the family began to notice David, uh, talking very strange and acting very bizarre. And in multiple instances, uh, he began to hit himself or seem like he was being kicked by some unseen force. Uh, there were instances where he got choked, um, just sitting there and his face began to turn blue as he couldn't breathe. Um, this went on for a while and his family began to become concerned, obviously. Um, so, so like when he out. was being choked, did it actually feel like there was a hand around his neck? Yeah, he would. F- he reported that he would feel hands around his neck, um, but his family didn't see anything. He would just kind of be laying there, turning blue, um, and everything happened at night, uh, past midnight, all the way up until the sun came up. Uh, it was at this time that the family uh, had heard of the Warrens, Ed and Lorraine and had given them a call, um, being very concerned about their son. Um, so they ended up coming to the house and, and looking around and kind of observing what was happening, uh, and deduced that David was under some sort of possession or on the way to being possessed, um, by this entity. So, uh, Lorraine Warren describes possession as this kind of five stage uh, progression. Um, First, you have encroachment, which is when you have a negative spirit given access to a human being, either voluntarily or involuntarily. So this happened when David was in this rental house being shoved. Um, He was he had given up his body involuntarily for access to this to this entity. 
Um, so, so he was just like, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, kind of. Take me. But he, I mean, unwillingly, <laughs> I would say. Okay. Uh, okay. The, the willingness part comes into play later, uh, which we'll get to and is really messed up. Um, so consent has not been given at this correct. point. Correct. That is correct. So the, the second stage of, of possession, you have infestation, which is when negative spirits physically enter homes or lives and cause fearful phenomenon. So this is the stage that we're at right now with David, where he's being beat up by these unseen forces being choked. You hear the sounds uh, throughout the house. Uh, the family reports that objects are being picked up and thrown. Um, and the, they're kind of being overwhelmed with with this negative presence. Um, the third stage is oppression, which is where the entity seeks to overwhelm, subdue the will of the person being possessed. Um, and the entity's objective is complete dominance of human will through terror. Um, through terror. So this is kind of where they were at right now. Uh, David reported that every night this demon would come to his to to him at night and say you're gonna give me your soul or everyone's gonna die that kind of thing he reports that this so if i'm understanding right it's basically you know trying to 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 whittle down the willpower of david by by just berating him by being horrified the whole time so he's instead focusing his energy on basically just survival instead of holding this entity at bay is that correct is that how okay exactly right so he reported that this creature had like this red leathery skin um, with horns and cloven feet. Uh, just v- obviously the visage of like what we picture as Satan um, is what David reported seeing. Um, and every night it would come to him saying, give me your soul or you're going to die. And then when he would refuse, they would physically assault him. And I say they because... Uh, as time went on, more and more of these entities showed up. Um, and ultimately, uh, 43 demons ended up being in David's life, which is a lot. Wow. Um, and the, these are 43 completely separate ones. It's not like, you know, the, the main one replicating itself 40, well, 42 times. That's right. <clears throat> yeah, it was 40 three separate entities and David could describe all of them in detail. Uh, at this time, David was able to kind of see through walls and see what was happening elsewhere. Um, he would say, Hey, you know, this person is here in this house doing this. Uh, and that would end up being true. So I'm sorry. I can't let the 43 demon thing go. I I have to come back to this for a second. So like you're telling me, so like, let's say I'm the project manager in charge of hell. Mm -hmm. Okay. And I send a demon over to David to say, I want you to get this guy's soul. You're one demon. You should be able to do it. He's this, you know, he's this guy. He's in this farmhouse thing. It's fine. You should be able to take him. Right. Instead, I throw 42 other resources at it. That just seems horribly inefficient. It does. Uh, so the come <laughs> come to find out this, uh, the main demon, which they called the beast, um, after eventually being uh, exercised from the house and from David uh, gave up his name as Beelzebub, um, which is the demon that is second to to Satan in terms of like the demon hierarchy. Um, 
is the demon that was supposedly possessing him. Um, where this case kind of took a turn and is really interesting to me. Um, I didn't really know anything about exorcism. I thought, you know, basically like the movie where priest comes in and throws holy water on you and says, hey, uh, leave. But it's like very political. Like there's paperwork you have to follow. <laughs> like it's very bureaucratic <laughs> in the fact that uh, you need to file a petition with the Catholic church and all this paperwork and prove that this is happening before they send out the resources. And that's where Ed and Lorraine Warren were there for. They were um, the people that were uh, vouching for this family. Um, okay. Unfortunately for David, uh, the exorcism was never approved. Um, so they, the Warrens attempted to do an exorcism on their own. Now they had a priest with them. It just wasn't a, a proper, um, like this wasn't sanctioned. That's right. It was not sanctioned by the, by the church. Okay. Um, I actually have a clip of the exorcism, uh, that I'm going to play. Ooh. Uh, it is kind of disturbing. So I will warn people, uh, skip forward maybe about a minute and a half. If you don't want to hear it, uh, it is hard to hear. Um, it is from the eighties. So audio quality is fairly poor, but, uh, here you go. I'll play that. I'll play this for you, and then let me know what you think. David, I'm In the name of Jesus, Jesus repels you. Leave this child alone. It's on your forehead. Yes, number. You are not strong. You're weak. You're, you're weak. Why? Jesus Ellie. loves this boy. Get up. This is get up. Wake him up. You got him up. Do something. You won't get out of it right now, Ma. You call me, baby. You're nothing now. Well, what do you think you've been doing? Maybe the father and the son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. You gotta hold him down. He told me to. Hold him on the ground. Get it. Mom is here. Mom is here. Come on. Get up. Come on. Let's go. Get out of this. Get out of my son. Get out of my son. Come on. Come on, son. Come on. Get away from me. No. So that is the clip in there. You can hear. Uh, what the hell is that? Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. We never talked about cursing. I'm no, no, you're fine. Uh, and I kind of dropped that on you without warning. <laughs> what on earth? Okay, so like the wait. Okay, first of all, I appreciate the fact that at first the mother's just like you know Karen, like get out of my son. Okay, get get out of my son. Get out of my son. Right. Um. But but good lord, the this the screaming at the end, and then what is what is the? I don't know how else to describe it. It almost sounds like orchestral. Yeah. It uh, it's really creepy, and the the laughing that you hear, um, <clears throat> and you know David's voice physically changed. Um, yes. So in that, in it's almost like the mother was like, like I said, she was, she seems like a Karen. I'm sorry, <laughs> but that's how she seemed when it first happened. And then, and then things just flipped. Right. And she was like, oh my gosh, uh, that was, 
I'm going to be hearing that in my sleep tonight. Thank you for that. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> so it was during one of these possessions or one of these exorcism attempts that uh, David began uh, hurting himself for the entity started hurting David again by choking him. Um, and it's at this point where Arnie Johnson, uh, Debbie's boyfriend, his sister's boyfriend, uh, jumps up and uh, threatens the demon uh, saying, leave him alone, take me instead. Um, so at this point, we are back on the encroachment stage of possession, now voluntarily being given access uh, in his own body. Um, the exorcism ends up going well. Uh, the the demon is purged from David's body. However, uh, all is not done in this story. Um, a few months go by, and uh, Debbie Johnson has their Debbie Glatzel has this uh, job at a dog kennel, um, and it's also like an apartment complex. I don't know. It's this weird combo thing, but they live in this apartment complex upstairs, and the person who owns the kennel. Um, Debbie's the older sister. Debbie's the older sister. That's right. Okay. Um, okay. So her and Arnie move into this apartment uh, that's above this dog kennel where Debbie works. And um, Alan Bono, who's the owner of this dog kennel, uh, they're downstairs. Everybody's downstairs drinking, having a good time. It's at that point that uh, Arnie kind of snaps and he and Alan get into this fight. Um, and Arnie's siblings are there as well as Debbie. And all of them report that uh, Alan Bono, the owner, just collapses to the ground covered in blood. No one saw anything happen. They were just kind of in this verbal altercation uh, when he fell to the ground bleeding. Um, oh, so like he was bleeding. He didn't just like suddenly have like blood all over. No, him. no, no. He was bleeding okay. from five stab wounds. Um. Oh, no one saw goodness. no one saw anybody pull a knife um, later on when Arnie was arrested. Uh, he had no blood on him. There was no evidence to show that Arnie had physically committed a crime. Um, so Arnie gets arrested uh, and goes to prison um, during the trial. He still says he has no idea what happened. He believes he didn't do anything, um, which is where the name of this this story comes from. The devil made me do right. it. So it was the, the defense's argument uh, asking one of the jurors that effectively the, the courtroom believes in a higher power, believes in God, because you swear an oath on the Bible that you're going to tell the truth. So he said, if the court believes in God, why can we not believe in the opposite? Uh, believe in the devil and that the devil corrupts people to do these things. And unfortunately for Arnie, the judge threw that defense out almost immediately, saying that uh, it's impossible that uh, possession doesn't exist. Um, and they wouldn't let any of the evidence from the Warrens or any of that audio tape you just heard or any of that stuff come into the courtroom. So... Uh, they had to, but the point is, they were trying to say that the defense here is he was actually supernaturally possessed. That's right. That was the the defense that they went in, uh, trying to win the case with, and he was being charged with first degree murder. Um, and 
none of it was admissible to court. Now, what ended up happening was, like I said, there was no evidence that physically tied Arnie Johnson from killing uh, Alan Bono. There was no blood. The knife that was found on the scene was like way off. Uh, it wasn't opened, so it wasn't. It was like a switchblade kind of knife that wasn't extended. They couldn't find any prints or anything on the knife. Um, it was all circumstantial evidence. So the jury uh, ultimately ended up convicting with manslaughter, and he only served a few years in prison. Um, but to this day, uh, unfortunately, Debbie passed away um, due to cancer. But to this day, Arnie Johnson says he never killed anybody. He doesn't remember anything from that night. Uh, and he maintains to this day that the devil made him do it. Um, now to play kind of devil's advocate, no pun intended, uh, (laughs) David Glatzel is kind of really nowhere to be found. He doesn't talk to anybody. doesn't talk about this at all. Um, his younger brother, Carl Jr. However, uh, maintains that this was all some elaborate hoax and completely fake. Um, and this story ended up uh, being the... Was Carl the older brother or the younger brother? Carl was the older brother to David. David so he was, was like middle oldest. child, right? Yeah. Um, okay. So this, uh, this whole story was the basis for the Conjuring movie, The Devil Made Me Do It. Um, and it's a really good movie. I believe they use some of the same audio that I just played uh, and kind of goes into the possession. A lot of it uh, about the trial is kind of very, very minimal. And same with the book uh, that I read this week called The Devil in Connecticut. It talks mostly about the possession um, and very little on the trial. But I picked this because I found it fascinating that uh, in the court of law that someone would actually try and use demonic possession as uh, like a defense. Um, so what do you think? The precedent that that would have set would have been incredible. Right. Like, oh, you killed somebody? Well, you were obviously possessed. Um, this this whole story, though, is one of the most well-documented possession and exorcism cases in the United States. Um, so if you are interested and want to learn more about it, The Devil in Connecticut is a good book talking about uh, the possession. I will say, however... Uh, it's about 300 pages of more or less the same thing, uh, talking about how David kept getting beat up, all these things happening around the house. And it talks about that for a majority of the book before it hits the climax of, you know, all these exorcisms and then Arnie Johnson committing the murder. So whatever happened to Arnie and the demon, did the demon just like leave after the killing? So that brings me to the, uh, the final two kind of stages of the progression I talked about earlier. So you have full Ooh, on okay. possession, um, which is triumph over the inhuman or triumph of the inhuman entity where the spirit uh, takes over the physical body um, and proceeds to impose its will on people around it. Um, the human spirit being completely displaced and the final stage and what uh finally kind of brings an end to the possession is death where the entity seeks to bring about suicide or murder or both so in this case it ended in murder um so what it ended up happening is that another exorcism was performed on david because they believed he was kind of the the source of everything um and the exorcism was successful 
and that is where the the demon had revealed its name as Beelzebub. And uh, since then, everything's kind of been normal. Like I said, uh, Arnie believes to this day that he never did anything and that this was all some that he was compelled to do it. It's wild. It is. Just thinking about the what ifs that could have come out of this too. It's incredible. It's and the 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 recording that you shared, Tanner, that is going to haunt me. Like literally haunt my sleep for the next couple of nights. I can hear that just sh- that shift in David's voice from from it's, it almost seems like somewhat playful to just like yeah. I'm not you know, I, oh I can't do it, but you know. <laughs> it uh <laughs> that one's really freaky and there are interviews out there and I'll put in the show notes um, of Ed and Lorraine Warren kind of talking about this case. And I don't know, it, uh, this, like I said, this one was just fascinating because of all the evidence that was there. Again, if you believe it or not, um, I think it's very interesting. All the stuff that kind of happened, all of the recordings that had occurred, um, the movies and books that spawned off of this case, like it was very instrumental. Uh, in kind of how we view possession cases um, today. Interesting. That is wild. Thank you for bringing that to the table, my friend. Yeah, no problem. And it, if, uh, yeah, it was kind of a hard card hitting one for the first episode. Um, possession is the one thing that kind of really creeps me out um, because I don't know, be it mental illness or whatever, the the fact that someone changes so drastically and these things start happening to them and uh, the entire Galatzel family believed it uh, at the time. Um, they've come out, some of them have come out since then saying that they don't believe any of it. But at the time, you know, you're living in this terrifying situation, believing all of this to be true. And I think that mental prison that you get put in is one of the scariest and worst things that someone can go through. Oh, absolutely. I mean, can you imagine we do that to ourselves over things that we, you know, kind of going back to what we were talking about and during the news, these, these things that we sometimes draw lines where no lines exist. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and we don't have any sort of evidence when that happens, but when we know that we're being choked by some uh, otherworldly demon and, and, you know, we're trying to draw those lines, but people are saying, oh, no, I don't know about that. I think he just did. I think he just wanted to sell the story or make some money off of somebody. Um, it, it can be infuriating when you're you're caught in this loop of, but no, I'm telling you, I didn't actually do these things. Right. And uh, it's interesting because there's actually this paranormal conference, I think, coming up in October somewhere on the East Coast. And Arnie Johnson is actually one of the people speaking uh, at this convention. Um, so this randomly like popped up in my, on Twitter or something that I saw, uh, never hearing about this before. And I found it interesting that, you know, he's still going around and still maintains to this day, uh, that he was compelled to do it. And at this point he's been out of prison. He served his time for manslaughter. Uh, I don't know what he has to lose to admit that you know what? No, I actually was in a drunken rage and like murdered this person. Like he hasn't really nothing to gain at this point. 
Well, uh, so so you just put a spanner in the works on it in my brain because, and, and this is where the, the listeners are going to say, oh, good, they're not just buying it fully wholeheartedly. There's going to be some skepticism in this show. Mm-hmm. Um, hearing that he's doing the conference tour uh, certainly paints him in a slightly different picture for me. Um, because I'm thinking, you know, you ask the question, what does he have to lose by not admitting it? Well, he has to lose all of that fame, notoriety, and more importantly, income uh, from not getting to do the conference tour anymore. Yeah, no, I, I definitely see that. Um, that's a fair point. Not saying he is, but just, you know, one of those things where, hey, let's let's put shine the light over here for a second, too. Right. No, that's a fair point. You know, it's kind of what he's known for, right? The the guy where mm-hmm. he was possessed and killed somebody. Such a wild story. But uh, well, I find it interesting that we're going to go from uh, one story revolving around children having something interesting happen to them to uh, one story surrounding 60 plus children having something happen to them on our next episode. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm excited uh, to learn about that. Like I said, I've never heard of that story before and it sounds really interesting and uh, it's a lot easier for a family of four or five to kind of come together on one story and be believable than it is for 60 plus people to corroborate what had happened. We'll poke holes in it next time around. Aerial Phenomenon we'll be talking about. Uh, I found out where it's streaming as well. It's basically a rental off of their website, aerialphenomenon.com. So anybody's interested in checking it out and talking about it with us next time, I'll be bringing that one to the table. I'm certainly going to have some big shoes to uh, step into after you kicking us off so wonderfully this week, Tanner. I appreciate it. It it was fun to read. Again, if you want a copy of the book or uh, any of the YouTube interviews or a clip of that exorcism, uh, they'll be in the show notes if for whatever sadistic reason you just want to set that as your ringtone. By all means, go ahead. Uh, but uh, I'll go ahead and link all of that in the show notes, um, as well as the Conjuring movie, which does uh, a dramatized version of the story. But I think it uh, definitely tells it well. I've not seen it, so I'm actually going to go ahead and put it on my list of things to watch uh, before our next episode. I want to, I want to tell you how I think about that one because I'm, I'm usually not one for scary movies myself either. So now that I have the backstory on it, I'm excited to watch it. Yeah, it does. It, it, it kind of tells the story in a different way. There's the, the story beats are there, but the, the basis behind what had happened, um, and how it came to be is a little different, which I didn't really touch on so the the warrens eventually kind of they think figured out uh why david was targeted specifically and the glatzels had gone on this uh snowmobiling trip up in new york and met some people up there and it turned out the people that they met were uh satanists and had put this curse on the family uh which and then the the demon itself was let into their lives because debbie uh studied occult the occult in high school and was playing with a Ouija board because thought it was fun and opened up and unlocked this door for the entity to enter their lives so uh don't go around playing with Ouija so boards. playing with a Ouija board brought an entity into their lives hmm who does that sound like yeah right uh <laughs> yeah, reading this story there's definitely like parallels that could have been drawn based on what had happened to me 
Um, I can see why you like yeah, it. Luckily, <laughs> did not end in possession and murder, but uh, scary nonetheless. But anyway, that is all I have uh, for the devil in Connecticut case. Uh, the devil made me do it. Um, thank you for for listening, and uh, hope you learned a little something. Absolutely. I know I sure did. And I'm excited for our next episode coming up in two weeks. Aerial Phenomenon we'll be talking about. And uh, where can people find us on the socials, Mr. Tanner? Yeah, you can uh, follow us on Twitter and on Instagram at Creepy Peep Show. Uh, the website is ramblingnerd.com. And if you do want to send in a story of your own, tell me what you think about the devil in Connecticut. Uh, do you think it's a believable story? Completely BS. Um I'm a little skeptic myself on some of the things, but I do find it interesting nonetheless. You can send us an email at podcast at ramblingnerd.com. Excellent. I hope some people reach out to us. Let us know your thoughts. We'd be so interested to hear about them. Until next time, I'm going to say keep things creepy. All right. Keep things creepy. We'll see you guys.